Good evening, good morning, good night, good second breakfast, whenever you are, wherever you are. My name is Laura Gonzalez, and I'd like to welcome you to Lunatic Mondays, Lunes Lunaticos here on CSMP, the Circle Sanctuary Network podcast. And tonight I'm very happy because I have a guest with whom I cannot wait to pick their brain. Uh, they wrote a book that is fantastic. It's called The Terror Priestess, and the name is Lisa Robertson. She's from Las Vegas, Nevada, and is the author of Terror Reversals for Beginners and the co-creator of Animal Totem Tarot, Cirque du Tarot, Mermaid Tarot, and Soul Cats Tarot. She's also one half of Quantum Wealth Coaching, a luxury brand that helps seven-figure entrepreneurs reconnect to their passion, purpose, and mission. My goodness, I got to ask you about that a lot. But before we go into that, welcome to the show, Lisa. How are you tonight? I am very good. Thank you so much for having me. I am very happy to have you. I I really love your book. I read it cover, cover to cover. And <clears throat> excuse me, my friends, I have a sore throat today. I'm sorry. Um, I really love how you approach tarot and how you guide people through this journey into their priesthood and and there's more and more that I want to talk to the book about the book during the show but the first question that I have to ask you I have to know because I'm curious how is your path into your priesthood because you 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 walk us through our own path on the book but who walk you through your path well, like pretty much most things in my life, I, I face planted into it by accident. Um, <laughs> we actually have a priestess temple here just outside of Las Vegas in a, a small little community called Indian Springs. It's the Sekhmet Priestess Temple. And I remember the very first time I went out to this temple and we did a small ceremony, just a, a friend and my wife and I and we did some prayers we did some ceremony and there was just something that moved me like in that moment there was something that just felt like a coming home experience and I would visit the that temple at least once a month and I did that for a couple of years and then of course you know life happens and you wander off and you do other things and then a little bit later, I became a student of uh, Dr. Vanessa Sage, and I was doing her priestess course. And it was so weird because it was like, I've done this. This is me. Like, this is who I am. And it was this moment of self-identification of, oh, my God, this is this is exactly who I am. And through that course, we did a lot of ancestral work too so I was able to tap into my Celtic Roman heritage and really dive deep into the altar work and the priestess work and the devotional work of my ancestors and that's really how the book was born. Mm -hmm. Were you raised in a specific uh, spirituality religion household or? Oh Catholic. <laughs> my my uh my predominant uh heritage is sicilian so like you know you don't get a choice with that you're born you're dipped off you go <laughs> right right um <clears throat> excuse me 
So now you find yourself in the path of, of priesthood, right? And start your own journey. How do you start writing? Like, how do the two passions converge? The, the priesthood and then the writing. So I've always approached tarot from a very different angle. For me, it's always been uh, a personal spiritual journey. Uh, I, I don't I don't read the cards per se for clients. Like I never went down a reader's path completely. I tip my toe in it and I don't like it. And so like for me, tarot has always been this very personal tool, this tool that has connected me to spirit or source that has brought me solace and centering and healing. So for me, it was really like the next part of my work with the tarot to then bring the priestess element into it. And I have to admit, it wasn't actually a very easy thing to do. Like breaking this book up and designing this book to work with the specific components of how we approach priestess work and keeping the integrity of the tarot was a bit of a challenge initially and it did take me a little while to figure out exactly how I was going to format this book so that it made logical sense it made ceremonial sense it made pathworking sense um, but it still kept the integrity of the cards and the system that we know as tarot mm-hmm. And but when you wrote your first book, because this is not your first book, this is like your fifth or sixth. I don't know. I lost count here. <laughs> you so when, <laughs> but when you when you when you wrote your first book, how did you converge that you know the path of the priestess, your practice, and then writing? So what my very to your first book. I'm sorry. Yeah, my very first book. I actually didn't published traditionally so it actually had nothing to do with that and my first book was actually about Archangel Uriel and my experience with him um so that was my first book and then the very first book I wrote for tarot also wasn't overly connected to that so I actually did a I actually did a book on the court cards so I think as a writer my writing really didn't come around to this until I wrote tarot healer Uh, the tarot healer book, which brought more of this healing path and the energetics to the tarot work was probably the first book where I started to explore more of this work. So I'm very interested to know because it's so funny, you know, a lot of people know me as a tarot reader and they don't know that I do this podcast. And then a lot of people know me for doing the podcast, but have no idea that I'm a professional tarot reader. And it's so funny because I started doing both things professionally around the same time, you know, 12 years ago. So it's really interesting for me to hear you saying that it wasn't for you to read cards for other people. And I'm dying to know the perspective, like why, what makes it not fun for you to interpret the tarot for other folks? I just don't like reading for people. Like it's a personal choice. Like and, and I shouldn't say I don't read it because I do have clients where we incorporate tarot as part of the work that we do. But like you can't like DM me and say, hey, could you do a reading for me? Because I'm gonna be like, no, I can't. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> it's just a personal thing. I just never enjoyed it. Like I just didn't enjoy 
the experience and maybe it had something to do with the fact that everybody asked the same questions and I got really bored with that really quickly because Mm -hmm. I don't I don't care if your lover comes back to you like you know I really don't care um like that's up to you and your life path and I think that sometimes people use tarot when they really should be like I think people use psychics and tarot readers when they really should be going to therapy and to me there was a a bit of a moral and ethical disconnect between Mm -hmm. the types of clients and the types of questions I would get with the work that I actually wanted to do with people Mm one-on-one. And so for me, it was, I don't like this. I don't like the environment. I don't like the questions. I don't like the fact that I have to say no to, so. like, I would, I would say no to people all the time. I'd be like, no, I don't think you're a good fit for the way that I work with the cards. Um, So I just got really sick and tired of all that. So I was like, no, this is not my journey with tarot Mm -hmm. and maybe it's and then it got me to thinking maybe it's not other people's either maybe other people want to do different things with this system of divination that is incredibly intimate and incredibly healing and highly spiritual beyond asking where's my money who loves me and will I die tomorrow? Like, I, I, th- there are people out there that have complex questions, but the layers to them are personal and they want a place to explore this space and who they are and what that energy is and what it means and how do they embody a process and how do they connect to intuition So that's more how I like to work with people anyway. It's to guide people. It's to hold sacred space. It's to be more of a spiritual journey, not a, you know, do you think I should do this? And then if it all goes pear shape, come back and blame the reader or the psychic. So it was a real personal decision for me. It just didn't fit for me. Now I have friends who are readers and they love it and they have great clients and they have great experiences and I am so happy that they have that path but it just wasn't mine yeah and I agree with you because you know when I have done uh workshops or I have taught classes about the I I actually call my class tarot as a healing tool because it's I consider the tarot to be a healing tool a little bit like a therapy but not being a therapist because I'm not a therapist and not in a divinatory way and i will say thanks hollywood for destroying another uh, concept of a practice that is uh, deeply spiritual and not necessarily a divinatory and for people if they want to take guesses you can they can use whatever tool you know and the tarot is more of a tool for like you say dig deep into archetypes and into life situations etc so one of the things i tell my clients the first thing i say is i can tell you your future (laughs) you know because i don't think anybody can and and the joke going around is like if they come asking you if if your person is cheating on you chances are you know they are and you just want us to hear say something different right (laughs) so it really doesn't work that way all right well i as a professional tarot reader 
read your book, this book, The Terror Priestess. Of course, uh, I'm also a priestess of the goddess. So reading the book is like, oh my God. She hits so many points that are so vital. And I love that you started the book with saying, uh, maybe this is your very first time, or maybe you've already embodied this, but you will benefit from the work. And I have to agree and say, absolutely, yes. Whether you are a seasoned tarot reader or a seasoned priestess, this book brings an approach that is different, that I haven't seen out there. And the way you walk us through every single Heart. it's just wonderful you know um what was the motivation behind this book in particular the tarot priestess yeah i've got to say like each chapter was very very different and each goddess beat me up in a different way so like to me the book was a journey uh was a a journey for me as a priestess too like it was I had to move through these gateways. I had to live the experience of these cards. And in fact, Goddess Danu kicked me the hardest. Like her chapter was one of the most grueling to write. And, um, you know, I actually had to write to my editor and say, I'm really sorry, but I might need an extension on this book because the goddess won't talk to me today. And I'm like, and as I'm writing this email, I'm like, this is a weird email to write someone. <laughs> this is a weird email to write in a professional circumstance. I'm sorry, the goddess won't talk to me today. So I'm having problems writing this chapter. But she was so adamant that the small little lessons she would give me, like she wouldn't give me any more until she thought I really got them. So that chapter actually took the longest out of the entire book to write. Like she was like, she was really hard. Um, Lilith, I had to come back to, like I would, I connected with her initially and then like, she just like dropped out and then I had to move to a different chapter. The easiest chapter to write, the best experience, like the most joyful experience for me was working with the priestesses of Avalon. Like to me, that was that was a deeply healing chapter to write and it flowed beautifully. And I remember, and I'm not, I'm not a big person who cries. In fact, I don't like crying, but I remember like this working with the, the priestesses of Avalon was so emotional. And like, I just felt like this immense release as I worked with them and put that chapter together and then of course we have Saraswati in the swords who was just like a comic the entire way through like she was like the the you know the house comedian all the way through she was cracking me up with the lessons in the swords they were so funny but that was the point like to talk about how like our mind really is a trickster and it's a jokester and we might be taking everything our mind tells us just a little too seriously so like it was it was so fascinating to do that because none of my other books have done that so far been that intense as this particular book was to write I think it's a great tool and I love also how you take us through the different court cards and I know you wrote a whole another book on that but the chapter here speaking about the court cards and how we can evolve um, I'm happy to report that as a matter of fact, I already had applied some of the knowledge from this book into my sessions and how you describe 
the page is just, you know, being a neophyte, an apprentice, and then uh, the queen, you know, being the high priestess. I think that in the back of my mind, I already had that concept, you know, like a young apprentice. And mm. But the way you put it on the book, it really kind of brings it up to life. How hard or how difficult, because a lot of people dread the people of the court. So how hard or how difficult was it for you to to write about those guys? The court cards are always so easy for me. They're the first things I write. Um, in fact, even when I sit down to design a deck, it's the court cards I have to get right first before I can build the rest of the deck. So just, just like everything for this book, um, the court cards were probably one of the very first chapters that I just put together like that. I was like, oh, this just makes so much sense. Um, so that wasn't, that one wasn't difficult for me at all. No, the court cards are my friends. I like the court cards. What's the secret? How do you make them your friends? Because I know a lot of people really struggle with them, um, because they're people, you know, or they see them as people, you know, like this really represents people's personality outside of my own. So how do you, how would you recommend a person that is very, very new to tarot to get to that point of relationship when you say they're my friends? For me, I see the court cards as stages or steps in a process. So whether it's, um, you know, levels of experience. So we could, like, you know, I often talk about the court cards as levels of experience. When we're starting something from new, we're a page, we move into the night, where then we start to really dig deeper into our studies and knowledge. We take that knowledge and expertise into the world as the queen and we start to, you know, broaden our networks and and stuff and then we enter a level of mastery so for me it's taking the actual I think making them people is what trips people up to be honest it's what tripped me up when I first started because I would get a lot of kings in my reading and there's no men in my life and I'd be like well who the hell is this man I don't have any men in my life right I am a lesbian there are no men making decision in my life so like it was really one of these things that that constantly tripped me up and I was like there's got to be another way to like work with these where we take these very confusing gender stereotypes out of these cards and put them into practical terms where they can make more sense. Now, does that mean that that's what they always mean? No, sometimes they actually are people, right? Sometimes they are people, but my experience is is that it's less common that they're real people and more common that they're representing a stage, a process, or a step in your personal journey. So that's why I switched them. And to be honest with you, in all my years of reading, you know, whether I was just uh, an, an apprentice or a professional, in all my years that I have read for people, the core cards are usually about the person's personality more than they are about somebody else around them. So there's another thing that I really, and I know for some people it might be a little controversial. I don't care. You strike me like a person that face things forward. Um, talking about gender and the priestess and the goddess work and the goddess community. And I think it's on the first line of this book where you say that the priestess is for, the priestess path is for everyone. And that the goddess is for everyone, regardless of gender identification. I, as a priestess of the goddess, who also believes the goddess is on every gender, 
it's really important to hear the perspective from somebody else. And it's not Laura, obviously. Why it was so important that that was like literally the first line of this book, that the priestess path is for everyone. Because I think that we have demonized feminine sacred practice. You know, it's interesting to me how like everyone's meant to toe the line to patriarchal spiritual practices. But the moment you say, well, divine feminine practices are also for everyone. Like everyone wants to jump down your throat. I'm like, seriously, you go to church and you expect everyone to go to church. That's a patriarchal religion. Why can't everyone come to the priestess? Why can't everyone come to the goddess? There was a time we had matriarchal religions and everyone had access to them. Um, and, and to me, like, it's just, please pick up a history book and see that we didn't always live in a timeline where patriarchal religion was the norm. Um, just like binary gender identification wasn't a norm. This is not a 21st century revelation. We did not invent, you know, non-binary gender identities. This is something ancient cultures had we just got really stuck on this binary crap when we allowed patriarchal religions to dictate terms and identities and stereotypes. So to me, if we're going to be embracing goddess culture, we have to embrace goddess culture, which is inclusive, not divisive. Exactly. I am tired of idiots that take the words feminine divine or goddess culture to sell makeup, coaching, right. uh, <laughs> uh, uh, fashion, and the rhetoric is you're the feminine divine, so go back into the kitchen. Like, what the hell, you know? So, really, really, what I will say to folks is like, really understand that the divine femininity is everywhere and on everything and there is not one quality of humanity that is not connected to the feminine divine which is what you so are in such artistry you do when you talk about the major arcana because you you take us through all the experiences of the hero's journey mm -hmm. from the perspective of the feminine divine how was it writing the major arcana part of the book? Each gateway was different. <laughs> Each gateway was different. The first gateway wasn't too bad. The second gateway was a lot more challenging. Um, and it's interesting because for those who haven't read the book, I actually combine the fool's journey with the concept of the priestess pilgrimage. So we're talking about actually like what it means to traverse spiritually as well as experiencing this spiritual journey in a physical day-to-day -day world. So yeah, Gateway One was relatively easy and I actually wrote Gateway One and then had to go write another whole book before I came back to write the second Gateway. So in between starting Tarot Priestess, I wrote The Divine Practice of Angel Numbers. So when I came back to reconnect with this book and get into Gateway Two, like it was really, it was difficult. And it's funny because the first card in Gateway Two is Strength, right? Which talks, <laughs> it does talk a little bit about 
struggle. Um, so <laughs> it was really interesting that, you know, the whole, this whole book was, was spread over uh, a, a, me finishing a couple of tarot decks and me writing another book. And I kind of jumped in and out of it. But to come back at to the exact moment, like at the beginning of Gateway 2 with that strength card and be like, oh God, like this is where I am. And then have to move into Gateway 3 where we go through that dark night of the soul end of the pilgrimage. <laughs> it was it was very informative, timely. And, you know, there was a lot of times where I would just crack up laughing because I'd, I'd sit down and I'd connect to the cards and I'd connect to the goddess and say, okay, so how are we going to be journeying with these cards how we how we path working this process and I'd write it up and I'd let it sit for a couple of days and I'd come back and I'd go over it again to do the corrections and the and the rough edits and I would just I would laugh so much about how relevant it was to where I was (laughs) at that particular moment so each gateway was definitely uh different It, it wasn't a similar experience to write any of them and you know it's it's so funny and thank you for giving us such uh, intimate insight on the um, writing path because reading the book one will never ever imagine the order in which you wrote it and then that you wrote the first gateway and then you step away from it because I don't see not one bit of this connection to me it feels like you sat down and wrote the whole thing you know at once which talks about um cohesiveness which is you know great so even more admiration to you and, and your writing because it doesn't show that you were stepping away um there is something that caught my attention as well on the book and i know you wrote again a whole another book on reversals but you don't speak about reversals in this journey. Is there a particular reason why none of the cards show their challenging reversal face? The only reason is because I wrote the encyclopedia of reversals, basically. That book is a really big, hefty book. Um, and, you know, I, I just kind of figured that, like, if people want reversals, they can go by the encyclopedia I have already written. But to be honest, in the, in the priestess journey, like, it... The conversation that I have with each of these cards is neither in an upright or a reverse aspect, to be perfectly honest. So we're not even dealing with the cards in the upright position in this book. We're just dealing with elements, aspects, and different interpretations to pathwork, live, and embody specific devotional aspects of these cards. You know, to me, the the visual, because the way you describe every scene, <clears throat> excuse me, is so imaginative. I th- I think about it, you know, when, when we're children and we're on grammar school and we have to do a box with pictures that they just keep moving and it tells you the story and you have to keep pulling the, the thread of uh, probably duct taped images. <laughs> That's how I imagine this book like the expectator or the fool or ourselves, right? The priestess outside of the box, seeing each one of the cards a la old film, you know, old timey films mm. moving scene by scene. And you're absolutely correct. Like it's not about the car being right side or, or, or 
upside down, but it's about the whole, the deck of tarot cards as a whole. Right. You know? And and it's telling you, but but because I'm uh, <laughs> because I'm funny like that. To you, just just to ask a question because I don't have your book yet uh, on reversals. So if you can give us like a a little snippet on why or what are reversals to you? To me, reversals are. It's a pretty um, hefty book. That is that is a fatty. Yeah, that is a big book. Um, I always see reversals as, and in the lesser are kind of more like the absent of the quality or the quality perverted or darkened. Is it that simple, you think? One of the things that I think about reversals is there's not enough material written on them, to be honest. I don't think we have spent enough time exploring what these cards mean when they're upside down. And it's interesting to me that so many people avoid this that so many people avoid looking at things upside down. So in this book, I give five different ways to interpret uh, upside down cards um, because it's it's funny to me how we have so many books on how to read the cards in the upright position. So many books. But if you, tar- if you Google tarot reversals, maybe there's two or three books on how to read these cards upside down. That's not enough information. We need more people to be having discussions about what the world means when it doesn't match our aligned vision, because that's what a reversal card is. A reversal card means that something in your life is not matching your perceived visualization of it. Something is out of alignment. And by not focusing on it, it means that we don't want to focus on things that are out of sync, out of alignment and out of vision, right? Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to me that so many in the tarot community don't want to look at things that are not ideally matched to their perfect vision. And we know this is true because there's only like two or three books written on what happens when the cards don't look the way you want them to look. And again, it's, it's uh, diluting, in my opinion, diluting the extensive, super deep meaning of the cards where people say, oh yeah, I don't read reversals because why or whatever. And to me, it's so basic. It's like, it's part of the reading. I mean, you cannot ignore when a card is reversed and and like I say, you know, as a professional reader, I'm like, I have to give you the interpretation of this card being reversed. And then people's mind immediately goes to, oh, it's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. No, life, it's not. Life cannot be sunshine and rainbows and unicorns the whole time, you know? Like the devil say when he comes around, what is your deep desire, right? What do you want? And the card on reversal could be speaking about that deep not necessarily dark in a you know morbid way but deep desire and sense of control in a way I think you know right I also talk about how reversal cards can sometimes be protection for us that we could actually need we need might need to protect a part of ourselves or protect an idea or protect Mm -hmm. um, a conversation and if we're completely ignoring 
these signs that are saying, you know, right now, maybe this is not the right time to share this, or this is not the time to make this move, or this is not the time to take this trip. Um, you know, we could be missing out on vital pieces of information. But as I said, I am just staggered from a, from a neurological perspective about how we like to study the mind and how we like to study visual literacy, because that's to me what tarot is. It's a form of visual literacy. Mm-hmm. But we don't want to talk about things that don't align with our perfect vision. <laughs> yeah. There, there is some... It's also to me like... Sorry, but it's also to me like when people talk about they don't want to talk about the bad cards in tarot. And I'm like, there are no bad cards in tarot. Thank you. Thank you. I always tell people there are no bad cards. And then recently uh, I told somebody, you know, there might be challenges. Also, they're bad. No, challenges are not necessarily a bad thing. It's life. Again, you cannot have bunnies and rainbows and unicorns the whole time. There, there comes a moment where there's darkness. Oh my God, I love you. I cannot wait. I'm going to give me, obviously, the reverse. Um, let me tell the public so I don't butcher the title. Terror Reversals for Beginners. Yeah, it's real simple. It's one of Llewellyn's beginner books. We And I had to cut that manuscript down. I actually wrote 130,000 words in the original book and we had to cut it down by half so it ended up being like I don't know uh just under 70,000 I think to get it for publication but like I wrote a lot (laughs) I wrote a lot I could write and I could write at least another three books on reversals and why they're so important and why we need to have them in our practice why they're so important for spiritual and cycle you know and and our own you know, mental mindset, emotional, therapeutic journal work. Because to me, as I said, I I would like to see more people writing about reversals. I would like to see more conversations about what it means when maybe we're out of sync with spirit, because maybe spirit is showing us that in those reverse cards. And do you think, you know, I truly believe that this is an universal feeling that, um, people will rather not see the reversals or not see what is not aligned with our vision because it's a thing of account, about accountability, you know? It's about like other people did this to me or other people are responsible to what is happening in my life. And it happens a lot, like, for example, I can speak about the Latin American community where this idea of being hex is common. It's like everybody thinks that somebody hits them and that's why things are not uh, aligning uh do you think it has to do with accountability i think it actually has to do with a lack of education around the basic principle of law of attraction to be honest um i just think that people interpret information from a very biased viewpoint and it's hard to shape them from that and you know and that's fine we I mean we all do it we all absolutely do it but we cannot we cannot really achieve our spiritual path in its totality if we only look at the stuff that we think validates our choices rather than seeing the consequences of those choices. 
Um, and it's not about good or bad. It's about how do we refine, refocus and redirect if we're not being complete and whole in our vision and our perception and the way that we allow information to come to us and we digest information. And, you know, this is a global problem. Look how, look how polarized the world is, right? Mm -hmm. So we're seeing this everywhere that people have created this tunnel vision of a world that, that lives inside their head. And that's the only world they want to see. Um, and that is such a huge problem because there are so many parts of our world that need us to look at it because there are people who are in real struggle, in real suffering. Iran is a great example of that right now. Um, Ukraine is a great example of that right now. There are more people living in refugee camps than living in settled homes. That is stuff we need to look at. It mightn't be pretty. It might hurt your heart, but you can't block it out because these are real human beings. And if other parts of our sentient life forms are suffering, then we ourselves don't escape suffering. And so it is this thing of we must realize that our spiritual path is to become one and whole, not separate and disconnected. And that's where I see a lot of this tunnel vision and this and this lack of true understanding taking us. It yeah. is, is further to disconnection. And my path with my clients is to come back to connection. Hearing you, you just you just gave me this uh golden nugget because and I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to offend anybody, but the, the I don't read reversals will be the equivalent of I don't see color. <laughs> you know? Well, that 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 would be taking it to an extreme level. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is like I don't see. Uh, oh, I don't I don't want to see what is right in front of me, you know. But yeah, I mean, I know it's, it's kind of, of a joke. Anywho, um, is there anything about this wonderful book? that I haven't asked you yet that it needs to get out on this interview today? I think for me, this book is going to be, and, and, and I guess this is this is my message to anyone who's wondering if this is the right book for you. If you tune into this podcast, this is the right book for you. I believe this book calls people to it. This is not a book that's easy to market. It's not a book that is going to be for everyone. It's a calling and if you have heard the call of the goddess and you work with your cards and you're wondering how do you deepen your spiritual practice this book is going to be a call to you <laughs> so it is one of these things of you might hear this interview and go I don't align to this then this book didn't call you that's it that's fine because that's what this book is about it's a calling it's a it's a step towards your path of what it means to be a spirit in this human incarnation it's your calling to reconnect it's your calling to come back to a way that used to be before what we live in now became normalized this is your calling to go back to the ancestors to a time when we lived in community and inclusivity and we genuinely cared about our neighbors this is a calling to drop the blinders and see 
who you are and your light and connect to it at a higher level, not just an egotic one. I love that we were so in sync and connected and it, this was the right day to do it all. today. Today, December 12th, you know, the day of the Virgin of Guadalupe, the the goddess of the Americas. And I know a lot of pagans and witches don't see her as such. But again, go look into history and who she was and who she is and who how important she is for the people of the diaspora as well for us uh, so-called immigrants on our land. And I just mentioned that to to ask you, you know, are there any plans for the future next year? What are you doing? Or do you have any presentations after today? I know we're in the middle of winter, but probably not in Nevada. But <laughs> no, it's, it's cold here. <laughs> it's free. It's cold here. We have snow here. I think people forget that Las Vegas does is surrounded by mountains and we do get snow. <laughs> so any plans for next year, 2023? What's on the works? um not as of yet not as of yet I don't know I'm like I'm someone who I always tell people I kind of live outside of time and space because publishing is weird as far as calendars go so sometimes I don't know what year I'm in (laughs) but no I have I have I do not have anything on my calendar for 2023 right now (laughs) Well, maybe I will invite you back because you know what? I have to get me that book of uh, reversals and then maybe we have a whole show talking about reversal cards and their meanings. Uh, But for now, it has been a pleasure really to have you on the show. Um, Like I say, and this is not anybody's fault. I'm not guilty myself. I really am a very slow reader. I do mostly learn by hearing people and you know come from an oral tradition like most uh latin american people or native people but this book really got me by the eyeballs and it because you're talking about my two favorite things which is sarah and the goddess so you know it's it's just a wonderful book and it truly is a book that calls you um i am very fortunate and thank you to llewellyn because they send me you know, choices. And so who would you like to have on your show and who you like to, you know. And when I saw the car, when I saw the cover, you know, where she's got the, the crescent moon and then the full moon on top of her head, I'm like, this is it. This is the one. <laughs> you know, this is the one I want to talk about. So I'm very pleased that you have been here on the show today. And um, I'd like to say thank you to you. Thank you to Llewellyn and leave you the microphones. So you can say goodnight to your audience. Thank you so much for having me. It was it was a joy. I love talking about this book. I love talking about the priestess journey. And it was just an honor. Thank you so much. Likewise. It was my honor to have you. And to everybody, just to remind you that we have over 800 hours on the CSMP network, the Circle Sanctuary Network podcast. We have Circle Talk to Tuesdays a month. We have a Circle of Nature one Wednesday a month. We have Blue Marble the third Friday of the month. We have Paganos del Mundo in Spanish and Portuguese every Saturday. And starting on January, we will have Lunatic Mondays on the second and the fourth Mondays of the month. Um, I had announced this before, but I just want to remind people, 
Lunatic Mondays, Lunes Lunaticos in Spanish is going off the air. It has said goodbye uh, for the last time, the last last week, last Monday. But uh, yours truly, Laura Gonzalez, will continue doing stuff on Spanish for Paganos del Mundo. So, si hablas español, síganos en Paganos del Mundo y ahí vas a encontrarme junto con Cristian Ortiz, Carolina Amor, Harwood Uleva, uh, Monica Govin y Patricia Finclair in Portuguese. And now back to English. Thank you, everybody, for listening to your show, whether you listen live or later. And believe what our amazing guest said today. If you were called to listen to this podcast, it's because the goddess is knocking on your door. So thank you, everybody, for listening. And to everyone, until we meet again, never forget that you are loved. Goodbye. Really no big deal. And this is everyday guys. She's a mother up to work. She is driving in her car. She's a goddess in the elevator, rising like a star. They say she's working like a man, but they don't understand. She's dancing with the goddess in her heart. She's that woman on the phone She's smoothing out a deal And though her back is aching She's a goddess in high heels She works 6 a.m. to 3 And it may be hard to see But the beauty of the goddess runs deep It's really no big deal I'm just an everyday goddess Doing all my goddess duties Trying to find a way I am the maiden Mother in the comb, but it's really no big deal. It's just another day. She's a goddess in a skirt, lonely legs. She can drop you to your knees and make you beg. We are obsessed with her body, but we don't see that the beauty of the goddess lies beneath. Children and she keeps her family fed. You must never treat her mean, always elevate your queen. She's the everyday goddess of your world. It's really no big deal, I'm just an everyday goddess. Doing all my goddess duties, trying to find a way. I am the maiden and the mother and the crone, but it's really no big deal, it's just another day.